Coming up, the ripple effects of a verdict more than 400 miles away. Shows some progress, but there's still so much more to go. What we have to remember is that this is only one battle. Plus, he's a mayor who freely shares so much about himself, so why so shy about saying he got married and his journey to becoming a father? Was it stress or was he ousted? The face of the COVID crisis in Missouri abruptly resigns. We celebrate Earth Day, but with record homicides, a pandemic and homelessness. Have green issues slipped from the radar screen? Those stories and the rest of the week's big local happenings, all straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Orley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, and we are here to connect the dots on the most impactful stories in this place we call home. Rolling up their sleeves to dissect the week's top headlines from the Tribune News Service, Mary Sanchez, busy writing away at this very moment so he can put out this week's edition of Kansas City's African-American newspaper. The Call is Eric Wesson. He's inside The Call HQ, just off 18th and Troost. From the studios of KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo is with us. And from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. You know, it was the biggest story of the week, and while it was taking place more than 400 miles away, the ripple effects of the Derek Chauvin verdict were felt here. Well, I want to make it clear, today wasn't really justice. Today was holding police accountable for their actions. Finally, we see justice for just us. This has renewed my sense of hope in, in, that, in that that system can sometimes work for us. A black male gets killed in Kansas City every day. We don't have marches. We don't have... We, sometimes the news don't even show up. Just a snapshot of voices following the verdict. So what does the conviction of former Minnesota police officer Derek Chauvin mean here? Did a guilty verdict on all three counts take the pressure off the police chief and chill efforts to advance more systemic police reforms in Kansas City, Eric? No, not really. Uh, I think they're introducing some policies this week. Uh, policy changes, they've got the body cams, they've got uh, one of the things that really troubles me more than anything else in the policy is making chokeholds illegal and putting it in writing. Chokeholds are already illegal. They've been illegal for centuries. And, uh, and now it's a big thing. The state house is doing something with it. Now locally, Chokeholds are already illegal, so why would you spend a lot of time implementing legislation and policy on it? But I think it doesn't really get him off the hook. Uh, it's a step in the right direction, but we've still got some other issues with KCPD. Pete, you actually talked to the police chief on your program this week on KCMO Talk Radio. My assumption would be but this would have been a huge sense of relief for him. Well, I mean, I'd imagine so, but he did come out and he said that the uh, verdict was the, the right one. He did say that on the show. So, I mean, maybe he views it as the right one in part because it's a, a relief for him. But I don't think, as, as you just heard there from Eric, the people that wanted him fired on Monday still want him fired today. So I'm not sure what really changes there at all. Uh, the reality is, though, too, he's he's not going to go anywhere because of the system that's in place with the uh, Board of Commissioners, that no one's changed their opinion at all. So it's, it's frankly, it's a meaningless conversation to have at this point. It doesn't mean that they can't voice it, but I'm just saying there's no evidence right now that Rick Smith is is going anywhere based on the people who are actually in charge of potentially getting rid of him. 
If you're a police officer in Kansas City, Mary Sanchez, in anywhere in our metropolitan area, did your job get a little easier or a whole lot harder this week as a result of this verdict? I don't know that it's an either or kind of question. I mean, the, the issue with policing is its relationships and its long-term relationships with community. You build that day by day, interaction by interaction. So one incident, one, I mean, horrific murder doesn't change necessarily the scope of what happens day to day. And that's the same for all these policies. I mean, Eric is right. So many things are already within policy written. It's how it's played out. It's police culture. And for all the attention to Rick Smith, which I deeply understand the attention as well, it's what is the workplace culture? What do they value? How are things valued? How are the, how is the community valued? That's what people want. And that's what's going to just take so much more time. And uh, you say about the fixation on Rick Smith, there's a lot of focus, Dave Helling, just on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. But we know in our region, we have hundreds of police departments. And an interesting story in the Star this week talking about since the George Floyd death back in May, almost a year ago now, for all of the talk, there's barely been any legislation passed in either Kansas or Missouri to reform any policing. Right. There's been some discussion, but uh, in Missouri, particularly at the state level, Nick, but there's no indication uh, that that uh, will make significant dents in how policing is done in the state of Missouri or, for that matter, whatever comes up in Kansas. I do think there are some things we can learn from the verdict in Minneapolis, and one of them is it hinged almost completely on a video shot by a bystander. And police officers have to understand now that interactions with the public will be uh, uh, recorded. And uh, so that may have more impact on their uh, activities than almost anything else. Body cameras will make a difference. Once you see videos of events like the uh, like the one in Minneapolis, uh, it's harder, much harder for a jury to uh, decide in favor of the officer when it's that egregious. And so I think that's a big change going forward. One other thing I'd throw in very quickly, two members of the police board are on expired terms now. Their time has run out and may, uh, uh, Governor Mike Parson should, should be appointing new members anytime soon, sometime soon. That could mean a difference in how the police board sees the chief. A university, yeah, go, Eric. You know, one thing, and Dave mentioned, and, and, and is the body cams. And in the black community, not only locally here in Kansas City, but you find this across the country, is the body cams just show police killing us. Uh, I think the outside, because we've seen the results of body cams and they've, uh, you know, I fear for my life, I made this decision and they get away with it. We just get to see now through the police eyes, them killing us. So I think that video that that lady had that showed the uh, Floyd, uh, George Floyd incident, I think that was more impactful than a body camera is going to give us. Will we hear the pitter-patter of tiny feet in the Kansas City Mayor's office? A cryptic social media post from Mayor Quinton Lucas raised questions over the weekend about whether he's about to become a dad. Lucas this week clearing the air. He's not only a new dad, but he got married in a private ceremony two weeks ago. Everyone is entitled to their privacy, but for a mayor who freely shares so much about himself on social media, why did he choose to delay sharing any details about this aspect of his life, Mary Sanchez? I think we need to be just brutally honest about how ugly people can be. The mayor ran as a single person. 
and who he was dating was going to come under scrutiny. Um, and people can be quite cruel if, you, if that person doesn't seem to fit by economic, by race, by class level, by whoever they think should be with him. So part of me kind of laughed. I mean, I think COVID definitely helped him keep it, so to speak, under wraps for so long, but I welcome this new family to Kansas City and let's just see going forward. There are also the residency issues, which is a very much something that does take some public discussion. Um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk goes. about that in a second. for Wyandotte County. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Eric, but what, what do you think he was worried about? You know, I think in his personal business, like that aspect of it, I think he's very private because uh, he just didn't want a lot of people knowing about it. And then, uh, you know, the baby coming in and it's like, hey, he talks family, but now we have a child born out of wedlock or that kind of thing. So I think it was a lot image and a lot personal. And I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of people are saying too, some of it has to do with whether or not he's going to run for the United States Senate. And I think he wanted to kind of, you know, put himself in a, in a position where that's not on the table as a discussion to speak against him running for the Senate. My assumption is, though, now that this has come to light, would he really want to be part of a huge, uh, aggressive campaign for the United States Senate, Dave Helling? Well, he's been a little noncommittal on this. He teases a little bit. I'm sure that he's taking a look at it, Nick. But I, I have a little bit of a different take than my friend Eric Wesson on this, uh, on the relation of this announcement to to running for the Senate, uh, I agree that politicians have a zone of privacy that we need to uh, respect, but to keep this so secret for so long in a public position uh, such as the one the mayor occupies, it will give voters in Missouri some reason to think, well, what else might he be hiding or what other things are, is he not being transparent about? That may not be rational. That may not be even fair. But voters have a way of thinking about things like uh, this that we would not perceive as fair. And so uh, I just, when I, I was shocked, as almost everyone else in Kansas City was when this story came out, and my first thought was, this is, these are not the steps of someone who is pondering a major campaign for the United States Senate. That's my view. I want to get yeah. Pete, but yeah, Pete, your reaction to that? Well, I, I, I don't have a lot to add uh, analytically to what my colleagues have said. All I can say is with, uh, I think the only group here with the toddler at home and another one coming in two weeks, don't run for U.S. Senate. That sounds like a horrible idea, it's a horrible idea. Eric. You know, uh, it's ironic because I believe it was on Instagram. The other day he made a post and it had the two Republican uh, candidates that have confirmed that they're running for Senate. Then it had the Democratic guy, but it had his picture in there as well and it said possibility and he posted that and he commented about you know the headshot picture that they used so i don't think it's out of the woods whether or not he's going to run but i think he's trying to put himself in position but he's going to have to start raising money if he's going to do it can, yeah, can that, i just going to take a lot of money yeah Families are not the focus or should never be the focus of any political campaign and certainly one for the United States Senate. But we do, as voters, ask for some information about uh, the uh, outside of politics life of the people we vote for. And this just, I think, is going to make it a little more 
rocky for the mayor if he decides to run for the Senate uh, in the minds of some voters. Not all, but in the minds of some. It could be rocky even as mayor. You, you have already mentioned this, uh, Mary Sanchez. The, his new wife is the head of economic development in Wyandotte County, which, by the way, for decades has had a, uh, a residency requirement on all employees. And, of course, the mayor is required to live in Kansas City, Missouri, which br does bring up some important questions about uh, where does this power couple live? Well, um, I mean, the rumor is that they're actually going to buy a home in my old neighborhood, which is Coleman Highlands, which is a wonderful historic district. And I'm sure the community, you know, the residents there would welcome them and offer babysitting services even. Um, I think I would suspect that she will probably find a new job soon when she comes off of maternity leave. I mean, the mayor is not going to vacate his mayoral post. Um, perhaps and they he, perhaps he'll move over to Wyandotte County and take a position there. I why should the woman that. have to give up her job? Well, that's a good question. And why should, um, to satisfy, you know, eager, greedy voters, people need to be married and look like they're all on board as a married couple? Yes, thank you for that thoughtful uh, commentary on that. Uh, <laughs> he has been one of the most visible faces in the state of Missouri's handling of the COVID crisis. Now he's gone. Missouri Health Director Dr. Randall Williams abruptly resigning this week. Are we any the wiser? Can anybody tell me as to why he's gone? I would say almost cumulative. I mean, there, he, he came into Kansas City from North Carolina with a background that was questionable. At the time, I can remember thinking, well, that kind of disappeared fairly quickly. Um, and then with the pandemic, it, it even overshadowed many of the questions that came about throughout his entire time period here. Um, and then just the vaccine rollout, I think it just, it was another issue, another issue, another issue, and showed up as, you know, under the stress of all this, just not the right person for this job right now. And beyond the pandemic, of course, as you mentioned, you know, we have Medicaid expansion funding going on, a huge political mess going on in Jefferson City with regards to that. And also the um, marijuana, medical marijuana rollout is still going on, Pete Mundo. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, Dr. Williams in particular, I think Mary's spot on there with that, though, where it was uh, a scapegoat, I guess you could say, used by uh, by the governor with how the, the rollout took place uh, with the vaccines, which was obviously uh, clunky, to put it politely. And he was on thin ice with a lot of people already. And that was um, ultimately the call there to move on from Dr. Williams. But it's weird how it kind of came out. And it was very uh, matter of fact, status quo, as if we were all supposed to expect this when it really came out of left field. I did see a story from ABC News this week, Dave Helling, that talked about it with the headline, exhausted, frustrated, facing personal threats and political pressure. Public health officials nationwide are departing their posts at record numbers. In fact, more than 180 across the country have retired or just abandoned their jobs since the pandemic began. So this is a high-pressure role that has become very politicized over the last 12 months. Well, that's exactly right. And... Um... As Mary pointed out, the uh, circumstances of Dr. Williams' arrival here, Mr. Williams' arrival, uh, are not completely clear. I'm not sure we have the full story yet on what this resignation was about, Nick. Uh, and, and the governor is being pretty tight-lipped about it. So is Randall Williams. 
But there are a lot of pieces in motion down in Jefferson City we need to pay attention to involving Mike Parson. You mentioned Medicaid expansion. You mentioned this resignation. Uh, vaccine passports, he's at odds to some degree with the legislature on that. There's a big battle going on with the Board of Curators now. He's asked for the resignation of a well-known Republican. That Republican has refused to provide it. So the, the And the governor isn't running again. So... I think we need to spend more time understanding what the dynamics are in Jefferson City and what the governor is trying to accomplish and how this resignation plays into it. Remember, the COO also quit, the one appointed by Eric Greitens. So there are lots of moving pieces in Jefferson City where we don't have complete clarity on. And yet we spend so much time talking about national politics as a country. We, we barely ever spend much time lifting up the hood on what happens at the state government level. In fact, I know a lot of people's eyes glaze over when you mention state politics. We actually even had a staffer here. Every time I'd show a statehouse shot on this program, would start doing the uh, <laughs> snoring sound in my ear. I'm not kidding you. But there are a lot of critical questions, as Dave Helling points out, that are searching for answers right now, not just in Jefferson City, but Topeka, too. Let's see if we can get some quick answers from our panel on five big questions dominating the agenda in both states. Question number one is, will Kansas Governor Laura Kelly sign or veto a transgender sports bill that lawmakers sent to her desk. It's been sitting there for several days. Will this be the week she finally makes a decision? She's in a tough spot, but while wearing a hard hat at a Kansas cement plant this week, she makes it clear she's no fan. That means the next move rests with Kansas lawmakers, who will have to decide whether they want to overrule the governor when they return for their veto session in May. Do they have the votes, Pete? My understanding, uh, talking to some folks in Topeka last week, was they do not believe they had the votes to override this veto. They're just going to be shy by a couple. So I would expect the governor to uh, veto this, as you mentioned there, Nick. But I, I don't believe that they're at that uh, at that ability to override the veto right now. Which leads us, Mary, to question number two. What about Missouri? Will lawmakers in Jefferson City follow their colleagues in Kansas? Or will threats of boycotts from sports organizations hog plans for a similar transgender athlete ban in the show-me state? Well, they already have. I mean, and this is where national politics states tends to just follow along or it bubbles up from the states. I mean, Missouri is part of this whole movement to, I think, stick their nose in education policy. Most education, you know, systems have, they've managed this already. Um, they've already handled the issue of transgender students because every school district in the nation probably has addressed this or will shortly. And frankly, as someone who was a high school female athlete, we don't need politicians jumping in trying to save our sports. I mean, it's just a non-issue. Kelly should veto it, and Missouri should back off as well, but they're already charging forward. In Missouri, it's a constitutional amendment that's planned, Dave Helling. Does that mean you and I will be voting on that uh, next year at the ballot box? Uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, there are various vehicles going through Jefferson City now on this issue, Nick. There's also a, an amendment now under discussion in Jefferson City concerning what teachers can teach in school, whether they can teach so-called critical race theory or not. So there's a lot of meddling, if you will, in the educational sphere in both Jefferson City and Topeka. Uh, again, the, I think you're seeing the dynamic of some businesses uh, who say, look, if, if, if Missouri or Kansas gets the reputation as, uh, uh, of being 
anti-trans students or you know, closed-minded on these issues that they'll take their business elsewhere. And as I talked about last week, Laura Kelly is really worried about recruiting permanent businesses. It's not just the NCAA tournament or football or basketball. It's the idea that some businesses that might open factories or, or offices here would not do so because of these uh, pieces of legislation that are working their way through both state houses. And it's not just the transgender issue, Pete Mundo, because we also have in Kansas, as we go to question three, which is really about changes that have come to the governor's desk on the state's election rules. That would certainly stop a state elected official from unilaterally deciding I'm going to change the, uh, the date for when you can bring in mail-in ballots, or it's going to certainly make it harder for people to help someone else uh, put their advance ballot together. But again, if the, if the governor vetoes that measure, do lawmakers have the votes to overturn that? And will companies, by, by the way, also then say we're going to boycott Kansas because they don't like the, that rule change? I'd be surprised if you had massive uh, amounts of pushback from companies in, in the state uh, out of the gates on that. Um, it, it does seem like that is obviously something she would veto. I'm, I'm not clear just yet on whether or not they could override it. I do think that is more likely uh, that they had the votes to override that than they would on the transgender bill that we talked about earlier. But, uh, you know, you're seeing this obviously gain enthusiasm in, um, in a lot of Republican-leaning states, so it should be no surprise this is on uh, Governor Kelly's desk. And, you know, I imagine that she will uh, turn this one down as well. Are we about to see on question four a breakthrough in the Missouri legislature over funding voter-approved Medicaid expansion? I think this body has very clearly chosen not to expand Medicaid. If they wanted funds for this special interest program, they should have given us a funding source in the Constitution. Just a snapshot of the conversation going on in Jefferson City this week, but for all the talk with threats of lawsuits, will legislature finally find the money this week, Dave? We'll see. The uh, Senate Appropriations Committee tied last night, 7 to 7, Nick, on a bill that added some money in for Medicaid expansion. So there is some thought that it'll be fought out on the floor. And if they can get the expansion money in the Senate appropriations bill, then the House will have to decide what to do. Uh, but uh, absent that, boy, we're headed for the courthouse and uh, a long, difficult, long battle over what the voters said they wanted to see happen in Missouri. Eric. You know, I talked to a couple of state representatives, both Republican and Democrat, over the past week, and none of them had gave me a clear reason why Medicaid expansion is such an issue. It's, well, you know, they give you this song and dance and they danced around, well, the funding, okay, but, but voters approved it, voters want it, your constituents need it, so why not support it? And, it, it, and can I say this? A, a clear answer as yeah, to why. It's, it, it's not about money. It can't be about money. There's plenty of money to do this, plenty of money. The federal government is writing multi-million dollar checks to help states expand Medicaid. It's much more fundamental than that in my experience, and that is they just don't think that health insurance should be provided for the working poor. They just don't think If so. it's not about money, what is it about, Pete Mundo? Well, I mean, it is about what it does to these state budgets. A lot of the states that have uh, expanded it have seen the costs go way beyond what they were anticipating at the state level on their end. Dave's right, they're getting millions of dollars from the feds, but there still is a cost on their end. And if these numbers do go above the expectations, where's it coming from? Missouri's got to balance the budget. The money's got to come from somewhere. Mary. Well, I think some of it is they're trapped between where they always stood on this 
and Pete is very right. I mean, that's exactly where the arguments have been, but with public opinion has shifted and definitely the pandemic has helped help that shift occur. You know, the voters approve this. So now what are you going to do? Spit in the face of the voters, which apparently some of some of the Republicans down there are going to do that. But the public sees the need more and more to help out lower income people with health care. Our, our fifth question, by the way, was will Missouri, Missouri lawmakers send to the governor a bill banning vaccine passports? Remember, Pete, this is about blocking businesses uh, from requiring any proof uh, that you've had a vaccination from your employees or customers. Yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, obviously very political. It, it, it probably will end up happening, but it seems like it's in many cases it, uh, it it will mean more politically than it will mean in terms of actual implementation or uh, impact on, on anybody's lives. Just my impression, we're seeing this breakdown on party lines either way. So that's how I see that playing out. But Dave Helling said just a little earlier on one of the other questions that it was really this was going to end up in the courthouse. Don't you think all of these questions are going to end up uh, going to the Supreme Court in some way, whether it be about what you can say uh, and ask your employer or, or an employee, Dave, or transgender sports or all of them? Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, it depends on how the language is written and what states do. And obviously, you can always go to the courthouse. And my guess is if the transgender bills become law, yes, the ACOU and others have said, yeah, they'll, they'll take the states to court if necessary. Medicaid expansion is very different, though. It's in the state constitution. Clearly. I mean, the language is very clear. It has to be done. And if the legislature doesn't pay for it, then people are going to show up on July 1 and say, where's my Medicaid? And at that point, the courts will almost certainly have to get involved and the state Supreme Court will ultimately decide. All righty. In other news this week, has the supply finally outstripped demand in Johnson County? Public health leaders say demand for the COVID vaccine has dropped off so sharply they may halt all mass vaccination events at the end of the week at a mass clinic at Independence Center this week, health workers planned to vaccinate 1,000 people, but only 200 people showed up. So what happens now? Are people going to be banging on your door? Are we at that point, Eric Wesson, banging on your door, begging you to get the vaccine? It might. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to go that far. But I think everybody that's, gonna, that's gotten a vaccine, that wanted one, has already had one. I think one of the glitches that they might have had over the past week is when the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine was pulled and they did some... Uh, adjustment with it, so to speak. And I think that kind of fed into people's uh, reluctance to take it anyway. And I think they use that as an excuse to not take it at all. But I think that they're going to have to get that vaccine in a lot of people, a lot more people's arms. This is a sort of good news, bad news situation, Mary Sanchez. It is great that you don't have to spend hours on the computer trying to find uh, an appointment slot available to you. But on the other hand, in Kansas and Missouri, only one in three people have had the first shot. That means a huge number uh, have no, uh, no desire at this point to move forward and get vaccinated, even though it takes, it could be 80, 85% of the population and needs to be to be able to get herd immunity. What are the implications of that? Well, the implications are is that um, we could have these variants and the mutants, mutations of the virus really take hold in the area. And we, you know, we don't need that. So I think there's going to have to be a lot more education. Definitely, you only hit a certain demographic with these big rollouts. And now we're at the point where they need to shift the message, go targeted you know, targeted attention to more different groups, find different ways to reach them, because we just simply have to reach 
herd immunity. I mean, it's a public health issue and it needs to be portrayed as that and played out in that way. I did see this week, um, Pete Mundo, that in Kansas, more than half the counties now, public health leaders there are saying to the state, don't even send the vaccine anymore. More than 60 counties saying, we just don't want it. We've got enough people who have asked for it. There's no need for it anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, and obviously, uh, majority of the counties in Kansas are, are rural counties. And, it, and what's interesting about this is there's there's a, a vaccine hesitancy, I guess you would call it. Um, and it's, it's interesting that it's probably uh, an agreement from people who probably disagree politically on the majority of things. And that is, uh, the, there are parts of the urban community that feel that way, and there are parts of the very rural communities that feel that way. They seem to be the ones that actually agree on a sense of vaccine hesitancy, I guess you would call it, whereas suburbanites are more likely or very much more likely to be open to it. So it's an interesting dichotomy there that we're seeing play out, not just here in our region, but all over the country. But it's for different reasons. I mean, I think some of in the rural, there is a hesitancy, a, um, perhaps they didn't see people dying of it quite at the same levels. And within African-American and Latino populations, there is a hesitancy based around a distrust of the medical profession. So they need, that's, I mean, actually makes the point of why you need to do some targeted outreach and answer people's questions fairly. I mean, if someone is hesitant, they're hesitant for a reason and respect that and answer their questions. But, but more surprisingly, you have people who have been very much at the front of this, from uh, healthcare workers to corrections officers, who also have very high degrees of vaccine hes hesitancy as well, Dave Helling. Yeah, surprisingly so. Some medical workers, people who work in nursing homes and uh, extended care facilities where the death rate from COVID was so high a year ago, uh, also have expressed some concern about it. Uh, so yes, there needs to be a much, much more aggressive public education campaign. But there are some people, Nick, who just won't get a shot. They just won't. They don't get flu shots. They don't like to be injected with foreign substances. That's going to make recovery from COVID both physically and economically much more uh, difficult. It's going to take longer. It's going to be much more spotty because people simply don't want to get shots. This week marked Earth Day. I wanted to actually put together a list of all the amazing improvements that have happened to our environment over this last year, with fewer cars on the road, flights grounded, industry grinding to a halt. Wouldn't you think planet Earth is in a slightly better shape after a year in lockdown? Well, apparently, it isn't as clear-cut as that. It's true that early in the pandemic, global restrictions led to the largest monthly reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in history, but it didn't last. December's numbers actually exceeded emission levels. Can you believe that? From the same time of year, before. Also of concern to environmental leaders is that the pandemic gave governments an excuse to ease up on enforcing environmental standards and following through on many green initiatives. Big companies and local governments have been walking back promises to hit all sorts of goals from reducing single-use plastics to meeting benchmarks for more fuel-efficient cars. I did a news article search on Quinton Lucas. Um, Eric Wesson, that looked at the environment and cross-referenced his name with things that he has done. And I could barely find any article since he's become mayor. Uh, is that because we have so many other issues from, again, dealing with COVID, homelessness, historic rates of uh, violence in our community, that this issue has slipped from the radar screen? Yeah, I think he's, he's had his hands filled with a number of things. And I just, you had mentioned the houseless or homeless, however you want to uh, 
categorize it. But I know it's California did the same thing. They initiated a program to get homeless people into housing in their area, which it goes along with what they did here in putting the uh, homeless people in hotels and trying to work through something where they give them dollar houses as well. So it's kind of catching on, but I think his hands been so full with COVID and all the other things that he probably doesn't have time to think about the environment. And you think about what's going to happen, Pete Mundo, with regards to public transportation. Uh, will people go back as we're extending a streetcar line here in Kansas City? This has all sorts of implications. Are fewer people going to want to go on a bus or a streetcar after this pandemic is done? And what about those people who are leaving cities, as we've seen trends, and moving to the suburbs? Does that hurt Kansas City, Missouri? I definitely, definitely could. I, I think that the the want for uh, things like streetcars is uh, is going to be way down compared to just finding, especially considering it only feeds a certain sector of the city, which we've known for a very long time. Even with the extension, it doesn't add much in terms of the type of person that it that it uh, that it feeds. Now, the the busing and whatnot, people that need mass transit will continue to take it to work and obviously for pleasure and whatnot. But um, it should it should take a backdrop. I mean, to Eric's point, there is a lot going on here right now and uh whether it's the basics of government like filling the potholes or trying to uh bring the homicide numbers down i mean there is so much that uh the green movement that obviously allowed a loud group of a loud small group of folks in kansas city want to make the number one issue it should not even be in the top 10 at this point is, are these just a temporary blip though these trends or uh signs of uh, concerns moving forward in kansas city mary well, I think, um, you know, you ask developers and you can look around in the central core city here where I live. And I mean, apartments are popping up left and right. They are banking on a 20, 30 year plan of people moving, continuing to move into Kansas City and into the urban core and needing that housing. And some of that is predicated on what's happening in larger cities in the United States. They're harder to live in, we're more affordable, we are greener, we don't have the pollution issues of some other cities. So I think the prospects for Kansas City are good if we meet some of those challenges, and transportation is one of them. And Kansas City is banking on that for the airport, Dave Helling, that as many people, they haven't scaled back anything at the airport in the new construction of that uh, facility that will open in 2023. Well, well, that's right. As a matter of fact, this week they announced a new airline is coming to Kansas City to take uh, to begin flights to the East Coast. So, uh, you know, several years ago, Nick, the city council passed a resolution on environmental degradation and promising to try and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But gosh, this is a hard problem and it takes, uh, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of people doing different things to make any difference, really. I would recommend, as you know, I'm a big viewer of KCPT and I would recommend uh, the Nova special on the coral reefs that aired last night. The destruction of the coral around this globe is just stunning. And anyone who thinks that uh, climate change is not a real thing needs to spend a good quality uh, hour or two with that, with that reporting. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every major story making the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? It was a week for breaking records. How about for the most snowfall in Kansas City this late in spring? Laying to rest Chiefs Hall of Famer turned politician Fred Urbanus. Jackson County, by the way, forced to shut down his namesake golf course after a worker misapplied chemicals and killed most of the grass. 
Lost revenues and repair fees will top $100,000. A bidding war now underway for Kansas City's Southern Railroad. There's a second Canadian rail company tries to take over one of our biggest local companies. It's finally happening, groundbreaking this week on both sides of state line for Whataburger. Four locations are scheduled to open this fall. And no celebration at the station. Even though it's an outside event, the symphony taking no chances and cancelling its Memorial Day concert. Alrighty, Mary Sanchez, did you pick one of those stories or something totally different? Well, kind of the combination. I mean, Dave mentioned JetBlue and Kansas City Southern. I've been fascinated by for, I mean, forever, for a couple decades now. Um, I think people often don't understand just how imperative it is this region to, to issues of transportation and moving product. And Kansas City Southern is right in part of that. And the JetBlue announcement um, allows our corporate leadership to move about the world, frankly, with those direct airlines to the East Coast. Eric Wesson. Well, what a burger not uh, building in the urban core in Kansas City, not downtown, not any place in the uh, city, they're out in the suburbs, but they're supposed to be building some more. But one of the things that I did uh, think that we missed, not only this week, but last week, Josh Hawley raised $3 million in uh, campaign uh, donations, and he's not even up for re-election yet. So whoever runs against him is going to have to come up with a lot of money when he does run in four years. So $3 million in, what, about 60 days? That's a lot of money. Uh, Pete Mundo. Uh, interestingly, Nick, uh, Kansas City Police Department has uh, rolled out their own TV show that they're going to be doing. I think it's KCPD 1041. Uh, pretty interesting that just trying to, uh, you know, humanize, I guess, law enforcement, the men and women who are on the police department. Interesting strategy as we talk about different ways to provide outreach and also to uh, maybe push back on the idea that they don't get a fair shake in, in local Kansas City media. Uh, what if you had to make a choice, though? It's on at the same time as Nova doing our climate change story on coral. It's going to be a real tough weighing up decision on that, Pete. Not I'll, for me, I, Nick. Not well, for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I know enough to know this. Uh, <laughs> India and China combined for 35% of the CO2 emissions. Kansas City is not changing anything. When you got 175 people getting killed every year on your streets, put the green stuff in the back seat, please. Dave Helling. Two things, the tip of the cap to Fred Arbanis, who served so long in the Jackson County Legislature and was such an important voice there for some time. He, you know, I've written this, he probably stayed a little bit too long, but he was an important influence there. And then the other thing is, in Kansas City, Kansas, a federal court has found discrimination in the fire department, uh, ordered the uh, government to pay damages to a discriminated against firefighter. Firehouses are still places of real racism in Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri, and that needs to change. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to nationally syndicated columnist Mary Sanchez, the call editor Eric Wesson, Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star, and 6 to 10 weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. And I'm Nick Haynes. From all of us here at Kansas City PBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.